0: What did you just say? Is it too hot in here for you?
1: I'm my body's like a battery. It's always like overheating. Yeah, like a laptop with no cooler trying to play Crisis. It's crazy. (laughs) I said before we started recording that I don't think I could ever love another man the way I love David Lynch. And then I asked you if you feel the same. I'm unsure. Have you ever loved a man? (laughs) I love you. Oh, wow. I'm blushing. You can't see it because it's uh, the usual post Taco Bell redness (laughs) of the face.
0: Yeah. This is a big one. This is a big one. This
1: is a big one. It's a big one for you and it's a big one for me. It's a big one for both of us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You're going to find out why, listener. Welcome to the Cult Podcast, where Stephen and Gabe hopefully change your perspective once again.
1: Yes, like you. (laughs) You'll see things the way we do
0: (laughs) You will go home and rethink your life Go home
1: and rethink my life
0: Uh, Continuing our string of episodes we have wanted to do for a while This is another older one that I've been thinking about for a while But I just watched finally recently And I kept asking Gabe if I should watch it And he's like, yeah, you should But he was really hesitant to recommend this to me You want to tell him why?
1: Because I don't like, typically outside of this podcast making recommendations to people because for particularly regarding the things that I love the most because they're very close to my heart. And you are a very strongly opinionated person, Steve. So what I would be probably emotionally devastated. I might never have been able to recover.
0: Emotionally devastated?
1: Devastated. If you had told me that uh, you hated this show. So I, I was hesitant, but I think I, in fact, I don't even know what eventually got you to watch it because I, I had been I'd talk about it once in a while and you'd bring it up once in a while, but you finally actually watched it.
0: Why I started it was because we were told, again, by Dukes to watch Archive 81. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you were like, I'm watching it and I am I have like devs and the empty, man. empty Man vibes, and I was like, oh, do I have to watch devs now? And you were like, yeah, you, I mean, you should. but
1: <laughs> it's, it's time.
0: You could watch Archive 81 and, and not. Watch yeah, devs, yeah. But in usual fashion, watching devs for me and uh, loving something like I have, I've recommended it to everyone in my life that I possibly could in the matter of weeks post watching it. Both my brother and my sister have watched it. And so I've been dialoguing about this show a lot. And yeah, this show has become something foundational in for my you. life and my favorite shows. So I finally watched it. You know, started it before I started Archive 81. We're about to talk about The Empty Man after this episode, and then we're going to get into Archive 81 right after that. We're going to touch on these older older works first before we get into Archive, and then we're going to go back, continuing the string of episodes, touching on older things. Yeah. Uh, or, like, things from last year, I should say, or the year before.
1: Devs like Empty Man came out in 2020.
0: Yeah. Uh, almost two
1: years ago, exactly. It was March.
0: But, yeah, for me now, it's... Like I'm equating it to things like Lost or Twin Peaks, maybe even X-Files, even though I like Lost and Twin Peaks more, but things that really, like I said, foundationally kind of make up my core belief system of good art in motion picture form, specifically in this case, a good show. I've been saying it's a lot like Lost in a lot of similar ways with themes and stuff, but they did it faster. You know, they got there in eight episodes instead of six seasons. Yeah, it's
1: it's tough to compare those two anyway in terms of how long it was running because mm-hmm. one of them was meant to be a show that ran for years because it was, you know, the golden age of network television yeah. or it, like at the forefront of it for Lost and it's it's Time. But Devs was always meant to be just a
0: really short and sweet kind of like an extended film limited series. Yeah, I mean, to jump into this, we're talking about Devs. It originally came out on FX. So it went straight to Hulu, Mm -hmm. because Hulu streams FX's stuff. FX has the movie. And this is the first show done by Alex Garland, who I am a big fan of. I am even more of a fan of Alex Garland's now, but Gabe has been more of a fanboy of Alex Garland a lot longer than I have, which is why he would have been devastated. (laughs) Devastated. Devastated if I didn't like this, because... It really hits close to home for him well both yeah both subjectively and objectively I think it's Whoa. quality
1: which is why I think you yeah yes you know, we often have similar tastes
0: and we're, we're getting into it I will tell you I have five pages written out I will tell you full why I think it is quality in the coming minutes but before we talk about it we have to talk about Alex Garland Yeah. so why don't you talk about Alex Garland who is he what has he done why is he good <laughs> Because he makes good things.
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't... I think he keeps kind of a private personal life, so I don't know much about him personally, but... Yeah. uh, He's a young gentleman, an English gentleman, a novelist, a screenwriter, producer, director, all those things. He got his start in the industry, I think, with The Beach. DiCaprio and Danny
0: Boyle back in 99, I think?
1: It was right on 2000. Oh, okay. And it wasn't his first screenwriting gig. He had written the novel for The Beach, and then... It was John Hodge who adapted the novel for Danny Boyle to make the movie. And that movie was uh, kind of a mixed bag for in terms of reception, but it had kind of a cult following, like a small... There was something there, obviously, to Alex Garland's writing and to his storytelling. And that also was the beginning of his relationship with Danny Boyle, and they continued for years to work on stuff together as a writing-directing team. Moving forward into uh, the seminal work... 28 Days Later, Danny a, Boyle's... Yeah. I don't know if groundbreaking is the right word, but it's a zombie film.
0: That's a huge one. People say to this day that that's like a groundbreaking yeah. film for, for a lot of reasons. Both for
1: its genre and, I think, for Danny Boyle. When people think of Danny Boyle, it's usually up towards the top. Yeah. And that was... Garland did write the screenplay for that one. So he, he continued writing novels after 28 Days Later that people were adapting. But his next project with Danny Boyle... I think was Never Let Me Go.
0: Oh, I was gonna say Sunshine.
1: Oh yeah, Sunshine was 2007. So he goes 28 days later. Sunshine a few years later, and that is one of my favorite science fiction films of all time. I highly recommend it. I don't know what else to say about it other than the synopsis, which is a bunch of people go into space to stop the sun from burning out to keep humanity alive.
0: <laughs> they have to restart the sun.
1: They have to like jumpstart it with the technology. Essentially, that's that's like the The most reductive form of what they're doing But it's good science fiction And it's got a crazy um, ensemble cast Including Chris Evans, Cillian Murphy Killian Murphy? Killian Murphy Cliff Curtis, Michelle Yeoh Just a bunch of people And then, uh, yeah, he wrote Never Let Me Go He did some video game stuff He then did Dread in 2012 Which is the beginning, more or less Of his filmmaking career He's not credited as the director Officially of this film but Carl Urban and others have come out saying essentially that it was Alex Garland that directed Dread and that made it what it was. And that's sort of its own cult classic as well. People love, I love Dread. I just watched it again last year and it is such a beautiful little action film. And then the modern age of Garland, the age that we're in now, maybe moving into the next age. I'm geeking out, so.
0: Starting with Ex Machina. In
1: 2014, we have Ex Machina, and that was a big deal as far as indie films go. Very popular. I think it won some awards, like big time stuff.
0: Yeah, Oscar Isaac in one of his earlier roles, earlier to like the public where he was kind of on the rise. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was Alex Garland's
1: statement film. It's his first time officially as the director, writer and director from here on out. He directs all his own scripts. And it was, it was great. I mean, Oscar Isaac, Donald Gleeson, Alicia Vikander, just real highbrow sci-fi that takes itself seriously and does it in the best way possible. And then, a few years later, we have Annihilation in 2018, which was an adaptation of a novel, a series of novels, by Jeff Vandermeer called the Southern Reach Trilogy, which are some of my favorite fiction of all time. In terms of weird fiction, potentially my potentially my favorite thing I've ever read. And
0: I, I, I could say so much about that film, but I think that's where I hurt your feelings because I didn't like it as much as you. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I most people didn't. Like that film I, I do want to say, you know, to be on the record. I really really like that movie a lot. So yeah. much so that I forced Allie to watch it, which she doesn't normally watch these types of films. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it is uh if you like weird stuff, I would I would recommend checking out that film. That's it's probably one of my favorite films. <sighs> yeah, of all time. And then uh, Alex Garland started working on Devs, and it was a project, I guess he wanted to step back from the process of filmmaking and like dealing with studios like in that capacity for a bit. And so he, I don't know how the, the inception of his deal with Hulu came into play, or, or FX rather, or, or whether or not he had intended for the story to begin as a film, but he made, he wrote and directed uh, this eight-episode limited series called Devs, which dropped sort of quietly in 2020.
0: Kind of in the pandemic.
1: Yeah, literally right at the
0: beginning. Yeah, at the beginning, yeah.
1: In March, or in, it was the beginning of America's lockdown.
0: <laughs> so people were watching it at yeah. that time.
1: Yeah, I guess in that way, it was good timing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And that's that's where we're at. And over the people, word of mouth gets around and it's not celebrated as u- ubiquitously as like- Lost. Yeah, it's a, it's a smaller show, it's a more intimate show. It's not like a sprawl like Lost is this big sprawling story and it doesn't have the total craziness that like you said, you know, Twin Peaks would have. It's not as absurd as it's that's this for contained sure. little
0: like yeah. character drama with like five or six people. Well, I would I would argue that it is that sprawling, but it just uh, does it faster. Yeah, theoretically it's sprawling. But so can you can you quickly um, define his style or genre? It's tricky
1: to to pin it down. It is a style though because it's always from Ex Machina through Devs there is a style there and I would say it's meditative almost always science fiction. Like he loves telling character driven stories and narratives through the lens of science fiction. This, I mean I've talked about why I love sci-fi before but it really blows open the doors on the stories you can tell and still get people to connect with those characters in a way that is both interesting to watch as a drama and interesting to watch as like a crazy plot you know Mm -hmm. ex machina we had robots becoming sentient Mm -hmm. annihilation we had this story of incorporated environmentalism and surrealism and all these other things but it was still a story about you know Mm self-destruction and then devs is Just a whole nother bag of worms in science fiction about the possibility of quantum physics, basically to to put a a button on it, you know?
0: Yeah. So he has these sci-fi elements, but he also has these large kind of philosophies that coincide as almost like a double meaning, a double entendre, Mm. entendre to what you're seeing. They're usually quiet. They're very tense stories that he tells, there's
1: often uh, moments of dread or like, you know, it's mounting towards something and there's an explosive climactic, either at the end of the show or throughout the show, there are moments where it builds to a boiling point and it kind of, it gets crazy. And then it settles back down Mm -hmm. and it starts to tell those stories again. And oftentimes in his stuff, a lot of the runtime is just conversation. Alex Garland loves writing dialogue and he loves writing conversation between characters that, like you said, it's very layered thematically and the interpersonal dynamics there are very complex, um, and that's that's what draws me into it. As someone who thinks about the writing first and foremost, when I'm watching content, I guess movies and television. Yeah, uh, and dialogue is the first part of that because you're revealing so much—not about the story that you're telling, but about yourself as yeah. a storyteller. Yeah, and it shows the quality of his work shows an intelligence to Alex Carlin and a curiosity to go like beyond like to take risks I think which we don't see very much of we don't in, ever in yeah. film and television today it's a not, lot of schlock
0: not often yeah yeah
1: it's just nothing
0: every almost every line of dialogue has thought and thoughtfulness behind it mm-hmm. and and I was kind of equating it to him having or you know being a writer I'm sure he's also very well read and very well learned and he has this deep well of information and knowledge to pull from to write these extraordinarily profound ideas into the lines of dialogue, into such simple lines. Instead of saying something stupid, yeah. which a normal protagonist would do in a normal blockbuster film or, or throwaway television show, the characters say intelligent and smart things that progress the story in an interesting and comprehensive way that uh, leaves you feeling f- uh, fulfilled and satisfied, you know? And, and both on an intellectual level and, like, I'm enjoying this because I feel like I'm actually gaining something from watching this right now, you know? So that's that's always something that I think about when I'm watching his stuff because there's always a double meaning, or u- usually there's a double meaning behind everything that's happening, which is something we'll talk about later, more. Yeah. Of later. And it's always an emotional journey, too. Like, it really sure. pull, it pulls at your heartstrings. I mean, it's still a story because yeah. he's, he's still telling... <laughs> A story which uh, you know has to do with humans, but this is a uh, analysis episode, so mm-hmm. it'd be remiss of us to not mention the other people that have worked on this show.
1: Yeah, he worked with Rob Hardy for the cinematography on this show, uh, who he, he worked with on both Annihilation and Ex Machina, so they have a, a good working relationship.
0: The cinematography is amazing.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, talking all that stuff about like storytelling, there is also a very distinct visual style to Garland's work. And yeah. I love he has all these incredible like slow pans and stuff like that that really just yeah. pull you into the moment. Framing is always so beautiful as well. A huge part of Alex Garland's work is his sound team and the people that do the score for him. Mm-hmm. The composers returning from his other projects. onto devs, we have Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury.
0: Mm-hmm. Two dudes
1: who just get it.
0: Yep. And they also do the score, and we'll talk about this in a couple episodes for Archive 81.
1: And some of the crazier stuff, they also featured an artist known as The Insects, who I am not familiar with, but important to mention. Mm-hmm. Editing was done by Jake Roberts. Thank you, Jake. Who did Heller High Water and some other stuff. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Jake. like to shout out the editor.
0: Well, the editing was fantastic in this show. Yeah. Like, if you think about even just how each episode opens, it's just such good editing.
1: Same production designer from his films, Mark
0: Digby. Diggs. (laughs) Diggs. (laughs) I don't know you, but I like you. And, uh... I digs Digby.
1: Producers, Garrett Bosch, Eli Bush, Sarah Desmond, Garland produces his own work, Avram Kaplan as the line producer, Andrew McDonald, Matthew Henry Davey, Alan Reich, and uh, another gentleman who has always been a champion of Garland, which is, it's unfortunate. Apparently, I think stuff has come out against Scott Rudin, who was uh, the final producer for Devs, who has produced a lot of incredible work from No Country for Old Men to The Social Network. He's produced Garland stuff.
0: Is there anyone listed for, like, art direction?
1: A lot of names on that list.
0: That's a huge part of the show.
1: Andrea Borland, Michael Goldman, Matthew Gray, Harry Payne, Dennis Schnegg, Adam Squires, and Quinn Robinson.
0: Great team, because yeah. the... Art direction in this show is insane. Like if you think about the dev's room or the you know, the really multi-story Amaya statue, the young the little girl statue that's overlooking everything.
1: I wonder if you picked that up from Danny Boyle. I mean, just thinking at least about Sunshine, because every Garland production has at least one or two distinct sets that are, like, Mm -hmm. not just important, but they're, like, the core of the show. Yeah. So the devs, studio... It's almost
0: like a character in of itself. Yeah. Like, if you think about Oscar Isaac's, like, house, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, like, a character in of itself, you know?
1: Yeah. In Ex Machina. Environment's very important to Garland.
0: Well, as they should be to all filmmakers, there's a lot to learn there, a lot to look at. Yeah. Let's talk about the cast.
1: The cast. The cast is led by our main character, Lily Chan, who is Sonoya Mizuno who Garland has worked with in the past, she was in Ex Machina as the robot that was not Alicia Vikander, the one that dances with Oscar Isaac in that one scene, and I think the one that ends up stabbing him. Spoilers. She played the alien in uh, that final insane sequence in Annihilation because she has a, a history of dancing, I think, which is why she has this interesting She has the body use of, of space and movement. Yeah. yeah. And then she was our main character in Devs. So a lot of people have criticized her performance because uh, Garland loves to work with kind of what I like to think of as em- like emotionally stunted or stilted leads or like c- characters that I think he directs in a way that evokes this performance that is a little, it seems wooden, but I think he likes telling the story of someone who is almost, you're, you're wondering like are perhaps slightly autistic in a way because it's like there's a, there's a level of savant or... Uh, I don't know. It just gives you an interesting perspective on the story that's being told, mm-hmm. and so I I like Sonoya's performance here, and I know you did as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you were, you were saying that she was the the biggest problem of the show, and I was like, oh, I have no problems with her. So I yeah, I liked her. I was kind of equating her character to being like the John David Washington character in Tenet, where he doesn't even have a name. He's just the protagonist. Like yeah. Lily's character could have just been the protagonist in this show and never had a name and she would have been the same because the show is about so many other things besides her. everything's through her perspective, through her lens, but but the show is so layered that like she could have been anyone, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: We also have Nick Offerman as Forrest, the recluse, the elusive and enigmatic head of this company, Amaya and this
0: I bow down before Nick Offerman here
1: he's a legend
0: I mean <laughs> <laughs> to go from like the that performance in Parks and Rec I, and yeah
1: to then to dig up this insane emotional performance in dev's yeah
0: it 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 was it was shocking to watch honestly for me i I did not expect him to get me yeah and he got me. You got me good,
1: he pulled you in, <laughs> and then the cast is rounded out with Jin Ha as Jamie, Kaylee mm-hmm. Spaney as Lyndon,
0: mm-hmm. so good,
1: Stephen McKinley Henderson as Stuart, and Allison Pill as Katie. Allison Pill, and you cannot forget Zach Grenier
0: as Kenton, true, yeah, who's the bodyguard, uh, crazy psychopath guy.
1: I guess it's also worth mentioning Sergey, uh, was yeah. played by Carl
0: Glusman, I
1: liked him a lot, Homeless Man Pete played by Jefferson Hall, and that's, and that's the cast. It's yeah, a small that's the cast.
0: cast. It is a small cast. Let's talk about what happens in devs. What is devs, Stephen? The premise surrounds quantum computing. Alex Garland generally adds a sci-fi element to all of his pieces, like you were saying. A quantum computer is a type of computation that harnesses the collective properties of quantum states, like superposition interference, entanglement, to perform calculations. They are essentially supercomputers created to perform calculations and computations that people can't think up for themselves. So Forrest, played by Nick Offerman, owns a tech company just outside of San Francisco in the Redwoods, that's the setting. The people that work there, as Gabe mentioned, are all kind of savant, but they're all the top of their game. They all work different projects in different departments. Two of his employees are Lily and Sergey. They are in love and dating, Sergei gets recruited to the super-secret department called DEVS, stands for development. Except nobody knows what they are developing, so Sergei gets in and learns what DEVS is and decides to steal the information. Sergei turns out to be a Russian spy and Forrest has him killed by his head of security, Kenton. Lily didn't know that Sergei was a Russian spy. Lily goes to her ex-boyfriend Jamie for help. They team up for the rest of the show to try to take down the company called Amaya. It's called Maya after Forrest's daughter, who died in a car accident tragically along with his wife. This is the main motivation for Forrest as he works on devs with his cohort named Katie, a younger savant genius played by Allison Pill. Lily and Jamie, after many turns of events, track down Katie and Forrest, who are sort of lovers I guess now, by that time.
1: They don't want to put a label on it.
0: Yeah, and they tell Lily and Jamie everything. Basically that They are using the quantum computers to determine what has happened and what will happen. They take this as far as to be able to project full image and sound on a screen from any time in the past or any moment in the future up until a point. They tell Lily that her future is deterministic and predetermined, but they can't see past this moment that will happen in 24 hours from them having this conversation. The head of security, Kenton, shows up and kills Jamie, again Lily's ex-boyfriend, which is the catalyst for Lily to walk straight into Devs the next day and forces Forrest to show her what will happen next on the screen that predicts the future, essentially showing that they will both die. She decides to change the fate and throw away the gun that she had pointed at him that was going to kill him, but they end up both dying anyway because another one of the people in the development department, Stewart, who is kind of just hanging out, decides that Forrest is evil, that shutting down the machine and killing him would be the best way to go forward with the devs project. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So he essentially shuts down an elevator that they're in and they drop to their death. What Katie and Forrest didn't tell Lily and Jamie is that they have also used this technology to scan living organic material, cell for cell, molecule for molecule, into the computer, essentially recreating that organic being or person, even their brains and memories, from the ground up. And they, from that point, can even interact with it. If it sounds trippy, it's because it is. And this was Forrest's plan all along, to be reunited in a world of his own making, with his daughter and wife that he lost that mirrors the reality that we have been watching this whole time. Essentially, a multiverse reality. Katie was helping him accomplish this. But he also has Lily scanned in to live out her life in the quantum computer multiverse world as well. After Katie uploaded them to this quantum reality, she explains everything to a senator, part of the government entity, to help them keep it running so the machine never shuts down. Lastly, I will say this. At a point in the finale, Forrest tells Lily that the V in devs is Latin for "you" as an inside joke to himself, meaning that the project is actually called Deus, meaning God, because that's what they were doing in devs, playing God. And that's, bas- that's basically the show.
1: Nice, Steven.
0: Good job. Um, so before we continue, Gabe... I want to say I've never seen a show ever. I don't think ever you've never seen a show that changes the name of the show to something else entirely in the final episode as part of the reveal, you know, in the hook of the show, even down to this point of like changing the title art as the show ends, implying that the show was actually called Dave's the whole time instead of devs, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to say that from the outset because that alone in my mind sets it apart <laughs> than from, from everything else, what but a cheeky bastard <laughs> like Garland. <laughs> well, so, so to take this a bit further, this was something I was already thinking about. And I told you, I think I even told you before I finished the show that I was thinking about that. Yeah. Because as I was watching it, like lost or dark or other shows, um, Alex Garland always titles his stuff to not, only have it almost be like a literal or metaphorical meaning to the content of the show uh, or the science fiction that it's playing with, but it also like has a double meaning that details like the emotion or philosophy behind it as well. And so Alex Garland always does that. So I was like, what, why did he name it devs? Like it made zero sense to me why he did that. Like, like, for example, like ex machina talks about, you know, machines, uh, but also the classic idea of deus ex machina. And then Annihilation both is like the Annihilation like end of the world, but also dealing with how do we deal with our complex human emotions when we feel like our world has been annihilated, that whole idea. And so watching Devs, I kept saying, like, man, I hate the name. Like, I hate it. I get why it's called Devs being a tech company, like, about development stuff, but the subtext is completely missed. So in the final episode, Offerman drops that it's not Devs. It's called Deus. And my mind figuratively melted. <laughs> I was like okay, okay, Alex Garland, you got me. I'm completely, like, hook, line, and sinker, I'm yours. Take me. <laughs> take lo- me now.
1: I love the way he delivered it in the show, too, because Nick Offerman is making this kind of little reveal to Lily, and he's like, yeah, it was kind of a joke, but this is what it really is. And yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> but like, that's, it's that yeah. kind of, like, meta, like, don't take yourself too seriously to the point where, like, you might – Make this moment a little too campy or heady. Sure. See so he he's self aware at that uh, to, to do something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So insane. So let's talk about why we like it and why it's good. Why we think it's good. Why can are we Why are we here now?
1: Why are we here now? Well.
0: What is this show about, Stephen?
1: Can you Can you like give I me just, the? I l- just I just said it. Yeah, but not what is it about. But what is it about?
0: Oh, what is it
1: about? I think for me, like. The perfect distillation, like as far as you can reduce it to a single idea, it would be like free will, you know, Mm. and the choices of our past impacting us and who we are moving forward. And I think the heart of that, really the heart of the show is Nick Offerman, right, is Forrest. And like you said, how everything hinges on his past with his daughter. I mean, that is the catalyst for everything that's happening, like his journey our journey is his journey to be reunited with her. And I know it has a whole nother layer for you as a, as a young father that I could not even begin to to dig into. But that's why I love the shows. I love any show that'll, this is like the, the human story. It's like, you know, the, <laughs> it's that question of free will and dealing with that, wrestling with that. Totally and Using quantum physics is such a genius idea in in the modern technological age to deliver that story, to be the vehicle of that narrative you know Mm -hmm. and like deterministic universe theory versus like all these other opposing ideas and
0: which is a similar thing that like dark played
1: with yeah yeah Yeah. and that's one that's like a huge chunk of why i love dark outside of you know how great that show was in every other way but yeah it's certainly in that that ranking you know
0: because with within determinism you also find like the macro existential questions you know because it's like well if nothing matters, then why do I matter? You know, and, and, you know, if none of my choices matter, if nobody's choices matter, then why am I here at all? And I think that's a question that we all ask ourselves, regardless of whether we're answering it cognitively, (laughs) you know, it, I feel like at some point in our lives, especially in our, our most painful or our worst moments, we're asking ourselves those questions or asking those questions, whether we want to Acknowledge that we are asking that or not, you know?
1: Yeah. One of my favorite conversations from the show, which kind of embodies that conversation for me, is when uh, Katie is laying there with Forrest before the final day and they're they're like just kind of messing around. And she talks about how he's, this is like, Forrest is like living in a trial and he's put himself on trial for Mm. his past decisions and whether or not they were his fault, you know, the things that have happened. And she talks about, you know, the judge, the jury, the executioner, her role as a witness. Mm. And I loved her bringing this up to the surface for the viewer to be like, Forrest has, has made himself accountable, or at least this is his journey, is to, like, hold himself accountable for things that were ultimately, like, you know, things he should have never really hung on to. Like, the death of his daughter was not something... I mean, ultimately, he could have made choices, and the whole idea of the multiverse being that he had another points in time and space made those choices to avert that crisis. But in this world he he didn't and she passed and he blames himself for that and he it is it is encapsulated everything that he is and it has consumed him this guilt that is kind of honestly misplaced. Hmm. And the fact that he just can't let that go. I feel like everybody has something eating away at them like that in that kind of way. I don't know. They they're always coming back to that, yeah. that place.
0: No, that's actually Very on point. Uh, And I agree. Like, yeah, I think every person does have a moment. I've heard a child psychologist say that we make these promises to ourselves growing up when something happens that we don't like. Uh, We make these, they're called like determinations or something, or make these gravely dire determinations. Like I will never do this or Mm -hmm. never do that. And we stick to those things from a very early age on and then that kind of plays out as we get older and then we find ourselves fumbling or, or striving and we question why is it why is this not working out like it should be and it's because we're like clinging on to something that we had when we were a child and we're not actually responding as a healthy adult should respond you know moving
1: forward yeah, yeah.
0: rather than cling to the past rather than moving backward <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> trying to take that yeah, yeah.
0: And and the show definitely asks that question along with a lot of other questions.
1: You could you could write several different kinds of papers. I feel like the show itself was a treatise for Alex Garland's thought process on the whole thing. Sure. But it would be so fun to dig like uh, in another in another world, you know, uh, to dig into each character as a case study in this show. Because you could even though it's kind of brief, it's only about a six and a half hour runtime. All episodes in the mix.
0: Yeah, it's only eight episodes.
1: Yeah. You could really, I'd love to, it'd be fun to just talk about each character's journey in the show from Jamie to, to fucking Lyndon's journey. Yeah. There's so many great emotionally compromised characters.
0: Lyndon <laughs> <laughs> was one of my favorite characters. Um, this was a young boy in the show played by a girl in real life because Alex Garland had a specific look for Lyndon in his mind. And he felt that linden would be best represented by like a young girl so but linden was really interesting because he's this savant child who's in this adult world and he has the mind of an adult and all the adults respect and treat him uh accordingly and he's he's almost like a one of the moral compasses of the show but he his whole journey and how it ends is really fascinating for me um sort of because he's he's more interested in the discovery and the science and s- rather than the actual outcome, you know?
1: Yeah. He, in his relationship with Stuart is fun. And yeah. it reminds me in a lot of ways of like, there's this dynamic in, in Shakespeare's writing sometimes where you have two characters who are kind of on the outside sometimes mm. looking in and their yeah. commentary there is for the audience to mm-hmm. kind of flush out what's happening.
0: It's like the two old guys in the Muppets. Yeah. In the balcony. And so
1: there are points throughout the story where Stuart and Lyndon are like going back and forth, uh, you know, sometimes Katie's in the mix and they're taught, they're like bringing up all these big ideas and this philosophical conversation inside of this tech world. Like the tech is just there to provide the framework for the, the, the philosophy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say Lyndon is uh, certainly a focal point for how th- like that plays out.
0: Yeah. We haven't even talked about like the religious themes. Oh, at, yeah. at all. <laughs> no. Because there or like the Christian themes or uh, metaphors because there's yeah. there's a crap ton of them. Well,
1: it just depends if you want to be here for an hour or a day. That's true.
0: <laughs> but we actually see Christ on the cross. Yeah. In in like, you know, 2,000 years ago, the, this quantum machine projects 2,000 years ago. You see Christ on the cross. And then Lyndon, who, again, is one of the young developers, gets Christ to speak. Mm-hmm. You hear him speaking Arabic and... Uh, Nick Offerman, who's again the head of this company, fires Lyndon. I should say for using, applying the multiverse theory to the algorithm, rather than using the algorithm the way that they designed it to play specifically our timelines, Jesus, or this you know timeline that we're viewing as the show, Jesus, and that was the most important thing for Forrest because he specifically wanted to stick to this timeline because he wanted to resurrect this Amaya which was what he called his Amaya or this specific timeline's uh, version of his daughter so that he could be reunited with that version of her when everything played out the way that he thought that it would um but applying the multiverse theory was essentially saying like it might be a hair off or a fraction off and if so then it's not his Amaya and mm-hmm. Then he would have had to be forced would have had to be confronted with the pain and the loss of, you know, not being reunited and really just dealing, you know, confronting the fact that he would be out of control once again, because this whole project is essentially him playing God and trying to be in control. Yeah, that conversation about control
1: is interesting because the whole idea of determinism Yeah. Uh, being this kind of relinquishing of control.
0: Yeah, I actually I have a definition of determinism. <laughs> Because I thought it'd be helpful for the listeners. Yeah. Uh, Determinism is that all events, including moral choices, are completely determined by previously existing causes. They go a long way to present this idea and rationalize it uh, in the show. The idea kind of that you could only have done what you already did. You know, that idea. Which ends up not being true for the sake of this show.
1: It feels like that deterministic idea, that that theory is is how... It's the only reason that Forrest is able to move on is that he it's his way of like coming to terms with there's nothing else that he could have done, that this is the way things had to be in this
0: in this world. Well, because if like I said, if he would have even opened up to one parallel universe yeah apart from his own, he would have had to then let go of his daughter. And that's the thing he couldn't let go of. Yeah. And that's that's the whole thing, even the idea of determinism Uh, In the show, in his mind, he's determined to not let go and resurrect his daughter or or resurrect himself to put him alongside this version of his daughter that he lost. It's deeply like fucked up, but it's also deeply beautiful in a sense, because uh, you're witnessing the love of a father. I mean, not even to bring Christian themes back into this, but like the whole idea of the love of a father is a huge aspect of Christianity and something Jesus talked about often. But that's the thing that really shook me. Like be, <laughs> being having two daughters of my own, I was definitely moved and shaken. <laughs> I shook. Thought, <laughs> I was shook. I was shook hard.
1: I like that Lyndon and Stewart and Katie had this response when Forrest tries to fire Lyndon for this achievement, really, as as they see it.
0: Yeah, he should have won the Nobel Prize for. You know? Yeah,
1: they have this f- this interesting retort that it is like the multiverse theory is kind of in itself deterministic because of the idea that all things that can happen will happen in the multiverse but Forrest is not having any of it because he just like you said he wants his Amaya and he's not going to settle yeah until he does (laughs) until he's left with no other choice really at the end of the show
0: yeah and, and it's something called the Everett theory which is proposed by an actual Scientist.
1: All the science here is, is real. Pretty, pretty factual. I yeah. mean,
0: it's even when it's theoretical,
1: it's still people that, that, that exist.
0: Yeah. And this, this scientist, his name is Hugh Everett. And it's the idea of infinite worlds where people make infinite choices. And th- that essentially alone proves that free will exists. But Lyndon got fired for that, you know? Yeah. And th- there's also the idea that tech leaders are messiahs or yeah. believe they're messiahs, which is, i it was more of like a remark that Jamie had before he died that Lily then carried on, but that's another idea of this idea of Messiah and again playing off of the word Deus and there being a Messiah within Deus is really funny. You know? Yeah,
1: and even, like they're they're literally resurrecting things at Devs uh, in in that office space, if you can call it an office space. They they have a machine part of the quantum computer that you mentioned when you were going over the story. Is they have the ability to, mm-hmm. on a molecular level, mm-hmm. replicate both inanimate and living things.
0: Organic material.
1: And they do it with the mouse until the end of the show. You see the mouse come back to life inside of the machine's replication chamber.
0: Yeah, and that was in episode five. You first see the mouse resurrected, and then they're able to put, like, so in the machine, they resurrected from the organic material, like a copy of the organic material, a, a digital copy they're able to put like a physical piece of bread or cheese or something. And then that mouse that's resurrected in the machine now is able to interact with that bread or cheese. And that that's, it's a pretty profound idea um, that we could essentially create something that had existed in a machine Uh based (laughs) off of the data, big data. Like I said, literally cell for cell molecule for molecule. And that that includes, like, brain and everything that makes up a person or, or an or organic being. But is it you, Steven?
1: What? Is it you, though? Is it really you anymore at that point? I love the extrapolation of that.
0: <sighs> yeah, that's an interesting question.
1: I love that scene is one of my favorite when they do that with the mouse. Both. It, it's such a haunting moment. And both, like, the extrapolation of it literally and figuratively in that scene, They, it, Forrest wants to go further with the experiment on the mouse. And he says keep extrapolating the data because the way that this machine works is it can move outward because of the interaction of each point of data with the next point of data. It, it gets really funky and I, I honestly couldn't speak to the validity of the science, <laughs> but the way it plays out in the show in this scene is that they keep moving outwards. The the digital representation on the screen they're watching, it's moving, it's moving outwards from the mouse to the outsides of the room and then it goes beyond the room and you see this shot of forest looking at the mouse but what you're seeing on the screen of the machine is as it captures forest's face as as the machine keeps extrapolating outwards into the room and into the next room Mm -hmm. and it's such a haunting visual because it cuts between forest's face and the digital reconstruction of forest's face in the machine and that's where you get the first thought of oh we can you know we can have people people in here too
0: it also makes it extremely meta because the further the machine goes out, yeah, it captures the machine itself, and then it just it literally becomes like on an infinite scale. How, Stewart, many, yeah. how many times can we do this? Stuart has a great line of commentary for that when he shows some of the
1: lesser important people in devs how this works because he, uh, he runs a projection, like a one-second-into-the-future projection of people in the room. It's him and some uh, B-tier personnel. And he's like, everyone's freaked out when they see it. They're like, this is, this is like some voodoo stuff. We've gone too far. (laughs) Science has gone too far. Right. And he has this great line about we've opened the box and like there's another box inside the box or something. And it's just, it's, it's such a mind trip. Yeah. It's such a great.
0: Well, it just goes to show how thought out this show actually was. Yeah. And that's, and I know that there's a lot, there's a lot people could say as far as like continuity or plot holes for this show. But I'm just like, I'm looking at this show marveling, thinking we never see content this thoughtful or like it's rare that is done to to the level of quality, like technical quality that it is. And because of that fact alone that we rarely ever see this kind of thing that is this beautiful, even just, you know, swings for the fences, so to speak regardless of whether it was a hit or miss, just shut the fuck up because, (laughs) because it's that good. Like it's good because they did a good job, you know, regardless of the minute little plot holes and stuff. And, and I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people when I say that, because like I, we need more content like this and less content, like the stuff we've been getting recently, like the book of
1: (laughs) (laughs) content that I hate the word content, but yeah, content that challenges you and, Mm -hmm. Alex Garland's at his best, even when he doesn't stick a landing 100% in a a moment in a given scene, there's such uh, an authenticity to his his filmmaking where he's challenging his audience, he wants to challenge his audience, and he expects a level of intelligence from the viewer that people just don't expect anymore. That's well said. And there's an unfortunate, you know, cyclical system of uh, garbage, because like, the garbage sells, so they make more garbage, which sells more garbage, which makes more garbage. We need more money. Yeah. But, th- but this, and this, like... This if we is why, didn't have enough, we need more. This is why it shows like this long format, you know, highbrow content, you know, I'm saying in quotes, content. That's why it doesn't always sell very well, you know? Like Blade Runner 2049 was a bomb at the box office. And
0: I just, it, it, bum- it really truly bums me out because this is the stuff that when everything is said and done, in 100 years from now, It'll people aren't going to be remembering the, the book the of bullshit. The bullshit. Yeah, like <laughs> people will be like, wow, there was some really good art at that time. And here, here are the hidden gems, you know, amidst everything else. And
1: Yeah, you'll have to, in 100 years, potentially dig a bit to find. But they, sure. will, they will stand the test of time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And this, I mean, okay, as much as I love it, it may or may not be one of those things that lasts I personally would like to think that it does and it means something to me personally uh, it's one of the best shows I think I've ever seen like I that's kind of my my ultimate judgment call on this show is that it is up there with all of my favorite things now and therefore forevermore I will look to Alex Garland and his work in the future as something that I heavily anticipate alongside Gabe.
1: Yeah. He's been my favorite for a while. I mean, (laughs) pretty much any project he's been involved in since 28 Days Later. And he was supposed to write, or I think he did write, a script for Halo back when that shit was happening in like, (laughs) you know, 15 years ago. And I think he might even still be credited on the new show that's coming out in a month. But this is someone who is Intersected my interests on a superficial level in the past, but now as I've grown with him, I think and his projects have developed in this way. He as a creator has it's has taken a pretty meaningful place in my headspace and my philosophy of not just art, but just things that you know make me want to things that inspire me to move forward in life because <laughs> these these are you know stories that yeah we 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 live for this kind of stuff.
0: I get that. I get that. Uh,
1: people in general, they, they live for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what he does next. He's got a film coming out this year called Men with A24. Yeah, with
0: A24. Um, probably, again, has a double meaning. Yeah. I should I should also say that like my main gripe with the show, like, because I think I related, like I said, with Forrest so much, having young daughters, was that he, he never really got that version of his daughter back. Because I'd be absolutely wrecked if something happened to my daughters in that fashion but that like the fact that he truly doesn't get to live with the same reality version of his daughter and wife
1: the wish fulfillment perfect ending
0: yeah that's what i that's what i was wanting but then i started to think i was like you know what does that say about the show and the idea of actually playing god like it means that the punchline of the show is not a happy ending it's that playing god never gets you what you want which like let me extrapolate for a second Which is a huge statement of control, like we were just saying. It means that, like, to try to control everything around you, especially when dealing with great and significant pain or trauma or grief, the thing we most often try to do in response, uh, because we feel so out of control, is instead of acceptance, we ask the question, like, what can I control? Let me grab onto everything around me, like, right now that I can possibly grab, please. Like, I need to do that because I'm so out of control. So in the case of like Offerman's forest here, the intelligence and technology and his his money, like his resources at his disposal are essentially limitless. Uh, So he actually tried to create a universe that is a replica of the one he has in front of him and is experiencing here on earth as a way to deal with his loss and his pain, even to the point of death and killing himself, like his own physical body, to live on in another form as long as he is reunited with his loved ones. And that's why I personally connected with the show in a huge way because, like you were just saying, my interior thought life, my headspace, my, my mind palace that we're always talking about. Apart from the show dealing with ideas of science and faith, like on a macro and micro level, the same thing that my self professed favorite show, Lost, deals with, again, like throwing science fiction in, but it asks the hard questions about existentialism and philosophy and theology, but ultimately, like, all boiled down to one thing, and that is that, like, this show ultimately asks the question, how do we deal with the pain we experience here in this life? And this is kind of what we were saying earlier, but how do we move forward, you know? Which, as someone like myself who feels constantly aware of injustice in the world or have had it, injustice has done to him in the past, and I, I feel, like, personally hurt, like I was saying, you make those those determinings as you grow up and get older and you get hurt and more pain. I'll never be hurt again. (laughs) Yeah. Like on both a a global and like intrafamilial way, the weight of it all, like the weight of the world pushes down on top of a person and and the empathizing with pain in the world is something that I personally often feel the weight of and it occupies a, a significant portion of my brain like on the daily to the point of where it feels like all too much for me sometimes. You know, the, the questions of like, am I doing enough? Am I impacting the world in a negative or positive way? Am I impacting the world at all? Like, even the world around me? How do I control my world around me? Like, those same questions that Forrest is asking. If you see where I'm going, like, these are the same things Forrest was dealing with, the loss of his family. Like, what do we do when we're confronted with great pain and loss? And like, this show, Devs, the story, like once again, is a story about people affecting people. This is the only story that matters. Like, it's the only story we tell in media, like film and television. It is the only story we care about as people. Cause if there was no people affecting people, we would have no story and we wouldn't watch the content. No one would, because no one would care. And so this is the same story as Lost. Like it's the reason I love Lost so much. It's so human. The thing about the show and which is the reason I I think it actually is genius and will forever be going forward, something I will revere and that I solidified, like I said, Alex Garland in something like in my mind as a genius, is he did it in one season and probably less than one season actually because there was some filler, but he got there faster and explored those themes a lot quicker and asked maybe even some more difficult questions than Lost did. It took, it took so many of the ideas and questions that I, or like many of us wrestle with on a daily basis and put them all out there for everyone to see in this compelling and super enriching story. Um, it was truly beautiful. Like I said, so I wish I, I wish I had caught on the train and bandwagon earlier. You should have been like, should have pushed you into it. You should have been like, you gotta watch <laughs> You gotta, but no, Gibbs Gibbs a little bit scared to... I'm,
1: I'm precious with my shit
0: <laughs> well no I get it because like if I love something as much as I love this now I also even have a hard time to be honest like recording this and then putting it out into the world as a podcast like oh people are gonna hear how I feel about devs and be like oh that show must be really good and they're gonna go and watch it and be like this is the fucking worst show I've ever seen it's garbage <laughs> and I'll be like you just hurt me on a personal level you've learned me but no, I should also say that like when it comes to great pain Again, something we all have felt, I'm sure, at some point. That's the purpose of the show. Like, Forrest found out, essentially, that he was wrong. Determinism and his theory of it were incorrect because the multiverse theory played out to be true and all of its infinite possibilities. But that was the answer. Like, which as a statement from Alex Garland is almost like saying, look, our first and instinctual inclination is always to control when we are confronted with great pain. But we have to learn to show up and be present and then ultimately move forward and I can't distinctly say let go because there are parts of us that will never be able to or at least for me it feels like that but there's a, there's a great quote by um, a theologian named Richard Rohr and he says the great work in life is to let go that's the great work is letting go
1: it's tough
0: and it's like it's literally one of those statements that's simply profound and profoundly simple, because it's yeah you can deduce it to that, but that's the work. Like it takes so much work to get to the point where you can let go and feel like you do not have to control it anymore. You know? Yeah. And that's the reason I love this show. Like it 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 said all of those things and explored those ideas mm-hmm. in a interesting way yeah true
1: <laughs> it wasn't just like you know a, a soap it was like there's a, a fascinating way to, to tell the story and he told it in that way yeah it's interesting watching nick offerman reach that place that you mentioned of letting go because at that point he's now in the machine and katie confronts him with that question of are you okay making this concession right know, living in compromise for who, who could know eternity in this machine and this is something that didn't even hit me on my first viewing and struck me in a powerful way in my second watch of this show is that when Lily meets Forrest in the simulated reality at the end of the show, after they've died in real life, whatever that is, <laughs> <laughs> they meet in this in this field outside of Devs and Forrest tells her that this is one of my favorite uh, I don't want to call it a trope, but maybe conceit. My one of my favorite conceits in science fiction is the idea of the coin flip of yeah, uh, it winning the coin flip, and we see all in just a flash of of images of shots a bunch of the forests and lilies inside of this simulated universe, this multiverse that didn't make it, that that didn't get the good ending, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, that the ones we settled on did, and we see. You know, I think if I'm recalling this correctly, like the forest who didn't get to be reunited with his daughter and it's devastating just to even see that imagery for a second or all the potential bad ends that Lily might've ended up in. And those things all exist. And that is, it's such a, a terrifying and beautiful thing to watch play out the implementation of this, mm. this this theoretical science fiction that of the multiverse. And that we're living on this one, and we need, you know, ultimately to make the most of it. And so, hopefully, you know, there will never be a sequel probably to Devs, but I, I would like, in my head canon, in that, if I can use that term, <laughs> I'd like to imagine that Lily and Forrest, in this timeline that we end up seeing the most of at the end of the show, they, they live full lives and happy lives. And after having gone through what they did, they make the most of every opportunity. And we kind of even see the start of that with Lily going to make amends with Jamie inside of the simulated reality, and it's like it's it's heartwarming and it's beautiful and
0: uh,
1: it leaves you yeah in a good spot
0: yeah. <laughs> if we take a moment to f- to flesh out some ideas, the question of a sequel is interesting about this show because it doesn't need one mm-hmm. at all, and I think this season of television could be ruined if there was one. No?
1: Uh, potentially. Not necessarily. I mean...
0: Yeah, I mean... I wouldn't mind revisiting it. It, it revisiting almost it. defeats the purpose. Yeah. But there's a couple ideas that could be explored that would be interesting. for, and, and I think mostly could be fleshed out with the ideas that I was just sort of introducing. Like, it'd be nice to see Forrest explore his acceptance of the loss of his daughter and see that humanity play out. Does that make sense? Because... We don't actually get to see that at the end. He essentially has to admit that that he was wrong about determinism and that the multiverse theory is the way, you know, to quote the Mandalorian. And <laughs> and by doing that, he has to admit that, essentially, his Amaya may be gone. And we don't get to see him in the acceptance portion of his grieving process, you know? And it, it, it would be nice to maybe see that, especially because... Nick Offerman's so talented and and that character is so compelling. It'd be nice to see that. Instead, he goes and lives on in Paradise. Again, another Christian theme and idea of his own making, which is still a form of control. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there is room there to explore more in another season, but is totally unnecessary, in my opinion. Another interesting idea came to my mind is what if... It happened again in the universe it's in the computer. Again. Yeah, <laughs> where his his daughter or or his wife or someone dies again what? in the machine, and then he tries to scramble to control that. You know, what if this original show was a simulation? <laughs>
1: <Whoa>. <laughs> I'd love to see an anthology. You know, we could just tell more stories in this universe. I mean, that's kind of what this what Ex Machina is for. This it's like these are stories that c- could exist in our. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a Black Mirror kind of thing.
0: Yeah, this was like the best kind of episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. For sure.
1: It was like its a,
0: its own show even. <laughs> it was almost like its own show.
1: It's cool what happens when you give people like that the ability to just have creative freedom and go to those places, not ask a lot of them I, in terms of like <laughs> trying to hit your story by committee notes. It's insane. But that's, that's what we're doing. We're trying to break it down and make it, uh, you know, we're trying to live with it.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, essentially a large portion of the cult podcast as an experiment or, pod, you know, this thing that we're, you and I are doing is I'm, like, putting it out there going, does anyone else feel this way? Are we completely alone? <laughs> are you guys seeing this? <laughs> this is crazy. This is nuts. <laughs> anyway, I hope everyone out there has had a good time. Get some fresh air. Hug a loved one. And we'll see you next time on the episode where we explore the Empty Man. <gasps> the Empty Man, the Empty, empty man, man, the Empty Man. man.
1: Are you talking about why you enjoy
0: watching film and television?
1: (laughs) The allure of media?
0: This is one thing I love about watching TV and film, is that you never know when something is going to land on you. And it's one of the reasons I didn't watch this, honestly, up until recently, because I knew that Alex Garland was good and that I wanted to see it at some point, but I had no idea it was going to hit me the way that it did on such a personal level. It goes to show, like, you never know when you're going to find something or watch something that's going to almost like become part of your soul. That's what I love about media. That's why we do this. That
1: hunt, even subconsciously, for the next thing that will be meaningful to you is such an important part of that search. That's why I think film and television is such a big part of our culture.